0: Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. And if you're visiting us for the first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Nathan, and glad that you're here. Hope you feel comfortable this morning. Uh, We've been in the series that we're calling Family Lies. It's all about the family, not just the family, your family, and what God says about your family. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking all about marriage and some of the lies that we, even Christians, believe when it comes to marriage. Next week, we're getting to singleness, and that's going to be one for all of us to co- go to because we've all been single, and we all know somebody who's single. And it's certainly probable that even if you are married today, that you may be single in the future, even if it's because of the passing of your spouse and so today though we stand in between marriage and singleness what do we call that we call that dating that's what we call that in between marriage and singleness is dating you know where a boy and a girl they love each other they might get married someday they're sexually active together in our culture that's what dating is, and this is one of the burning issues in America today is sexual morality while dating. Now, maybe you thought that was a foregone conclusion that everybody just has sex before they're married. Everybody has sex when they're dating, because that's the way that you show love, that's the way that you test compatibility. After all, you wouldn't buy a car until you took it for a test drive, or maybe it's just natural. And you thought it was a foregone conclusion that everybody had sex while they're dating. But did you know that sexual morality is still, even today, one of the burning issues in America today? Let me show you why. I present to you The Bachelorette. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody want to own up to watching The Bachelorette? Okay? Nobody wants to own up to that? All right. Well, unfortunately, you do not have a pastor who watches The Bachelorette. But I do read the news And I could not escape all of the media attention to this year's Bachelorette and one of the final episodes in The Bachelorette. This one episode, as a matter of fact, this one 10-minute segment has gotten more news and more social media interaction than any other episode in The Bachelorette ever. Just this one. So before I introduce it to you, you kind of need to know what The Bachelorette is since none of you say that you watch it, all right? So The Bachelorette is a, is a TV r- reality show where they bring a woman on. And this year it was Hannah. Hannah uh, is a professing Christian. She claims to be a believer. And so then what happens after that? The producers pick another 25 guys that would be her potential suitors. Uh, she wants to get married, and she's looking for the guy that she's going to get married to, that she's going to get engaged to. And so that's what the show is: is Hannah weeding through all twenty-five guys, trying to pick the one that is right for her. And so the show is them going out on group dates, them going on individual dates, and each episode is her weeding out the guys. All right. And so the one of these final episodes, it gets to four guys. It's Hannah who's a Christian, and four guys. And part of the, this, once it n- gets narrowed down, the dates that you go on, they're called the fantasy suite dates. And so he, he, Hannah with one guy, they go to these exo- an exotic place. They stay there for a couple days in some hotel room. It's insinuated that they have sex. This year it actually shows that they do. And so she's got four guys. She's trying to pick between the four of them. One of the four, this guy's name is Luke, Luke. And Luke claims to be a Christian too. And so you have Hannah who claims to be a believer and you have Luke who claims to be a believer and they're sitting there in their fantasy sweet date and they start to have this conversation, the one that we're having today, about sex while dating. And they have opposing views on the topic of sex while dating and so i want you to watch i've edited down a little bit so hopefully you can follow what's happening here but i want you to see the the conversation i want you to pick who you think is right in this conversation here we go
1: thinking about fantasy suites like i've heard people proclaim their faith but yet they've said things like yeah i'm excited for fantasy suites i want to explore this relationship on a sexually intimate level and that's what i'm looking forward to and to me, that's like, whoa, 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 what? Mm-hmm. Excuse me? There's something I'm missing here. Yeah. I just want to make sure you're not going to be you know, sexually intimate with you know, the other relationships here. OK. Like, I totally have all the trust in the world for you. But at the same time, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Like, if, I, I mean, if, I, if you told me you're having sex, or you had sex with one or multiple of these guys, I'd be wanting to go home.
2: I'm, like, kind of mad because, like, the way that you just said that. I get when you, like, care for somebody that you don't want to think about somebody being intimate with another person. But guess what? Sex might be a sin out of marriage. Pride is, is a sin, too. And I feel like this is, like, a pride thing.
1: Let's say you've had sex with all these other relationships. All of them. I'm willing to do or work through anything. You're right, I don't have the right to ask you that, but to me, I just want to know what's going on.
2: I'm a grown woman and can make my own decisions and I don't, I'm don't. i not strapped to a man right now.
1: Just being real, like... Yeah, be real. I can understand a slip-up, but like with all of them, I mean, that's kind of where I was going with that. If like you were just like, you know what? I want to just have sex with everyone and see what it's like. And yeah, I would be like, okay. I'm gonna talk to you, but you know what? Like, I'm out of here. So,
2: what I have, like, honestly, like, what you're saying, the, the words that you're saying are just like really not okay. They're just not okay. And you would not think of me as a woman of faith like I am and that we weren't on the same page. And it's like you're holding I your. Know. No, 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 no. You're holding other people to a standard that you don't even live by, maybe because you abstain from sex, but there's a lot of things that you struggle with and it's like, because I might might want to or have had sex, so that's like your ex off. I feel like I've finally gotten clarity on you and I do not want you to be my husband. Can I walk you out? I have like bent over backwards for this relationship. So I don't owe you anything. Please get up.
1: Can you please just give me one minute, Hannah?
2: No. I cannot believe you just said that to me. You don't, no, walk with me. You just, why would you say that?
1: I don't even care what you just said to me about you feeling like you have clarity on this. I still feel like You don't. There's something in me that is refusing me to get into that vehicle right now. Because my- If you
2: really, I can probably get you to go in that limo from what you said. I'm like, I'm so mad. So like, I have had sex.
1: Say what?
2: Yeah. And Jesus still loves me. that sex was made for a man and a woman in marriage, but I'm having physical relationships. So, like, I have had sex. (laughs) And honestly, Jesus still loves me. The Lord made sex to be amazing. And guess what? A man does not control anything that I do. This is my
0: decision. All right, so this one 10-minute edited down to four-minute part of this show has gotten more media attention, more articles written about it, more social media interaction than anyone else since or before that one. Why is that? Because sexual morality is still a burning issue in America today. And, of course, when this show aired, Uh, it started everything between the two of them again. And Luke sends out a a tweet. It's all over Twitter. Luke sends out a tweet and it says to Hannah, it says, the difference between how we view sin is seen in the response. I'm weeping at mine. Apparently he's been sexually active in the past and now realizes that he wants to be sexually pure. I'm weeping at mine and you're laughing at yours. All sin stings, my heart hurts for the both of us. Of course, Hannah couldn't let that go. And so then Hannah responds, time and time again, Jesus loved and ate with sinners who laughed. And time and time again, he rebukes saints, meaning Christians, who judged. Which, wh- where do you fall, Luke? It's insinuating that he's judging her. And so then Luke comes back <laughs> and says, there's a difference between eating with sinners who laugh and sinners who laugh at their sin." Sin is the very thing that put Jesus on the cross and that's not a laughing matter. And back and forth it goes. And Hannah wants to have the last word, of course. And so here's what, here's what she says. The devil wants to shame sin. I don't know what that means exactly. Uh, God dealt with shame when he dealt with sin. So I will not allow someone who comes in the name of God, being another Christian like Luke, to bring something that God has taken off me, to shame me. And so there they go, back and forth they go. So who's right? You probably have your opinion on who's right, uh, that uh, one's an idiot and one's smart. Of course, in the media, she was the one that was praised for her decisions and her uh, vocal position, and Luke was the idiot. Who do you think? Well... Today, we're going to let God decide who, which one of those two is right, right? And that's why I've asked you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 is so the only verse that we're going to study today, although we're going to turn to two other places in the Bible, so keep, keep your finger here and we're going to move around. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says this, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Paul says that there's, there's a absolute incompatibility between sexual immorality and uh, the Christian faith. Those two don't go together. Those two don't, don't mix. You have two options when it comes to sex. You want to know what your two options are? Option one, in the faithfulness of a marriage relationship, option one. Okay. You probably already knew that one. Okay. You want to know your other option when it comes to sex? Abstain, M- meaning none until you enter the faithfulness of marriage. There's no, the Bible gives no other option than the faithfulness of marriage. So let's work through these words that are in this verse real quick, and uh, we'll go from there. Let's start with the last word, in this verse first, but a morality or any impurity or greed must not even be named you as is proper among saints. Set apart ones. This verse or this word in the New Testament is always used for Christians. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're set apart. They're considered holy. And so this verse is talking about Christians, This is the way that Christians are to live their lives. And the natural application for us is to to say to ourselves, our goal as Christians is not to go tell the world how to live morally. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't going to go tell your friends to stop sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Your goal isn't to go tell your non-Christian children to stop sleeping with their boyfriends or girlfriends. Sure, it would be better for them, of course. Everything in Scripture is better for Christians and non Christians. But our goal isn't to do that. I I know it would be better for them, but you you know what would be best for them? It would be best for them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It, it It would be better for them to change their mind about them and their girlfriend. But that's not the best. We don't want them to think that changing their sexual relationship, they've now done enough good deeds to rise to the occasion where now they're a Christian. We don't want to communicate that, okay? Uh, That what we want to communicate is change your mind about Jesus. And then Jesus, over a long period of time, will sanctify that person. Hopefully, they'll make them feel guilty (laughs) about having sex outside of their marriage and, and change them over time. So... We want what's best for them, not what's only okay for them. And so this is for, for Christians. So if you're a Christian today, if you came in here today and said, I'm a Christian, this is for you. Now you're probably wishing that you wouldn't have said that when you came in today. <laughs> but let's now start back at the beginning. This is how Christians ought to live regarding sex regarding sex and sexuality okay let's start with the first word immorality there's three of those words immorality impurity and greed so let's first start with immorality the greek word for immorality is porneia porneia what what english word do we get from that yeah pornography And like oh i'm not supposed to look at pornography on my phone i got it okay that's not what this means because remember, there were no phones <laughs> in the first century. Okay? There, there was no internet in the first century. This word is referring to any sort of sexual pleasure, any sort of sexual sin, okay? any sexual sin that's against God. So any sort of sexual pleasure that you get outside of the faithfulness of a marriage, any of it is wrong. That's what this is referring to, immorality. Interestingly, the opposite word. The antonym to porneia is the word self-control. That's kind of interesting. And Paul's basically saying, yeah, I know you have the natural desire to do it, but you withhold yourself because you're a Christian. You withhold, you self-control, even though it's a natural desire that you may have. Immorality, any sexual pleasure, and when I say any, I mean, yes, pornography would be, One of those things, looking at porn on on the internet would be one of those things where you get sexual pleasure that's not from your spouse. Um, So it'd be a lot of other things. Uh, having intercourse before you're married, doing other sexually pleasurable things before you're married. uh, And it just goes on down the list of all those things where you get sexual pleasure that's not from your spouse. That's immorality. And then we move on to the next word. The next word is impurity. That's a little bit more of a broad word that uh, has the meaning in the Greek of rotten, filthy, obscene, or unclean. Rotten, filthy, obscene, or unclean probably can already see where this is going. This is used 11 times in the New Testament. One time, Jesus uses it to talk about a buried body in in a tomb. Okay, dirty, rotten, and clean. You can see that. The other 10 times that it's used in the New Testament is used for impure thoughts, impure ideas, or impure fantasies. Okay? And so this is even for those of you who are married it, it, impure ideas that are in your mind. You know, say, so, oh, I can look, but I can't touch. No, no, no. See, if if God wanted to be, I could look, but not touch, you, this word wouldn't be in here. It would be immorality and greed, but it wouldn't be impurity. Impurity brings in the thoughts. And so you might be married and you're only getting physical sexual pleasure from your spouse. So, so you're not in the immoral world, but you could be thinking really weird Things in your brain that you know aren't right, like inviting a third person into your marriage or uh, watching pornography with your spouse. See, those things are impure even though you are married. Okay, so now we have immorality then we have the weird fantasies in our mind. And then we get to the third word, which is greed. Now, this isn't talking about money. This is, we're, we're on the topic of sex. And so sex greedily gr- being greedy with sex sometimes you'd call that lust but you wonder how could i be greedy with sex well turning your bibles to the right just a few pages to the book of first thessalonians it is just a few pages first thessalonians chapter 4 it's only 4 pages to the right in my bible how could you be greedy sexually If you've been with us on Wednesday night, you'll remember us studying this several, quite a few weeks ago now. And so this part you you might remember a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. And so this is what it says. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So this is the topic. Staying away from anything that you receive sexual pleasure from that's not from the faithfulness of your, of your m- married spouse. Okay? Uh, stay away from that. Skip down to verse 6. This is still a topic. S- sexuality. And it says that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the, in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. That's the point. Let's read that again. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Now, how could a person do that? Defraud another person sexually? How could another person steal from another person sexually? How could a person rip off another person sexually well, think of it like this. I'm going to start small and get to the point that, that uh, Paul's making here. Think back to all of the people that you dated before you were married. Yeah? You don't have to think of their names or anything, but just, th- you know, th- the quantity. For some of you, it was like one, and for some of you, it's like a hundred, okay? <laughs> so think of the people that you were dating before you got married, okay? And then now... Whittle that down to think of the people that you kissed during that dating period that's not your spouse. For some of you, that's one, and for some of you, that's 99, okay? Now, think of it this way. You didn't marry those people that you kissed, and so you kissed somebody else's spouse that many times. Isn't that kind of weird to think about, okay? Now, remove kiss and put in sex, You've had sex <laughs> with if those that you had sex with before you got married. You had sex with tho- that many other people's spouses. And so h- how, how do I rip that person off when I have sex with them before we're married? How am I defrauding them? Who are we ripping off? Well, there's a list of people that we're ripping off. First, we're ripping off this person that, that we're having sex with. Why? What are, we, what are we stealing from them? We're stealing from them the joy of being married as a virgin and having the unity of that first of that couple seeing each other naked for the very first time and experiencing the joys of that moment and building their sexual relationship for the rest of their life in unity, just those two, we have stolen that from them. Why? Because we are greedy. Hmm? We've stolen from them. But who else do we steal from when we, when we do that? We also steal from their s- future spouse. We've robbed their future spouse of something. What have we robbed them of? That same thing. The joy of those two, unity, oneness. I've never done this with anybody else. We've stolen that from them. Who else have we defrauded in the matter? Our own spouse in the future. Our own spouse in the future at some point in time 12 13, 14 15 16 17 they're hoping that one day they marry a virgin where the the, the connection that they have with their spouse is only between uh, only between them and me and they're looking forward to that and so you've stolen that from them and then they have to lower their standards to marry you that's how you can defraud a person in the matter because you were greedy. You were, you were lustful over the moment and you wanted it right now. Some people would argue that you stole from yourself too, but who cares? You're You're the idiot for doing it to yourself. Okay. So now back to Ephesians chapter five, verse three, immorality. We understand that one. Impurity. We understand that one. Greed. We understand that one, and notice the phrase after that, must not even be named among you. The Greek phrase there is, there's not even a hint of it. It doesn't even give the impression of any of those things. So this is a big deal to God. I'm not overstating it when I say this is a big deal to God when he says there shouldn't even be a hint of any of this inside of a Christian. And so a Christian, as they live their life, once they learn this, they're gonna live their life with no immorality and no impurity and no sexual greed in their life. Now, how in the world are they gonna do that? There's a lot of application to this and we could spend the rest of our time on application to this, but just give you a few ideas just to get your brain going in the right direction. The way that you dress, the way that you dress would, would never communicate that you're sexually motivated. For men and women, same thing. And I know that I, I, I realize we live in a culture where, where it's sexually motivated. And so when you go to the store, you're like, I got to shop for clothes somewhere. You know, I know it's hard. If I was to make my own clothes, there would be lots of holes in some very unholy places. It would be way more impure if I made my own clothes. So go buy clothes. But you wouldn't wear clothes that communicates to anybody else that you're sexually motivated. That'd be one application to this. Another application would be at work that you would never spend any time with someone of the opposite sex alone, ever, ever. You wouldn't meet for them, meet them in the office when no one else is there. You wouldn't go out to a private lunch with them. Not because anything's happening, but because even the people at the next table might get the hint that there's something between the two of you. See what I'm saying? God has a high standard for this. So that even when you're dating or when you're engaged, kind of back to the, the topic on the table, that you wouldn't do anything that would give anyone the impression that you were experiencing sexual pleasure with each other before you got married. You wouldn't go anywhere. You wouldn't do anything that, that communicated that to somebody. I think I've told this story before, but it fits here, so I'll tell it again. Uh, when Tanya and I were engaged, we were both Christians, and we had a commitment to stay sexually pure until we got married. We had a short engagement because of that. And, <laughs> and, and Tanya, by the way, is the only one that I ever held hands with. She's the only one I ever kissed. She's the only one that I've ever had sex with after marriage. So it is possible, people. It's possible to do that. And so anyway, so we were engaged and we wanted to, I wanted to show her Big Bear. And I, you know, when you're engaged, you wanted to explore all these things together, you know. And so I wanted to take her camping up in Big Bear. And so I had a whole plan figured out. That I'd take the tent and, and she'd sleep in the tent. and I'd sleep in the back of the truck or the other way around, whatever worked out. And then during the days, we would go hiking and biking. And, and so I mentioned that to my dad. And my dad says, I don't, I don't know if you should do that. And he said, I, I, I trust you and Tanya, although there's a reason you're getting married, if you know what I mean. But I trust you guys. But, but what would that even say to other people who knew what you were doing? Would they think that what you were doing was completely above board? <laughs> and we all know the answer to that. We're like, yeah, right. They're going camping, sleeping in separate places. And so Tanya and I decided not to do that. We didn't, we didn't go and you're like, man, but nothing's gonna happen. This is, this is a big deal to God. Uh, there's a high standard here when it comes to these things. There's not even a hint about these things, okay? So now you've seen the verse, okay? We've talked through every single word there. You know what it means. What's your impression of what God thinks about sex here as we look at this for the very first time? It's possible that, that your impression might be, wow, everything that I've heard about God and sex is true. God hates sex. He thinks it's dirty. He thinks it's impure. He thinks it's immoral. He thinks it's greedy. And if that's what you're getting this morning, I've done you a disservice. I haven't, I haven't taught this well enough because I want you to know that God is pro-sex. God is pro-sex. He's not offended about it. He's not embarrassed by it. God is pro-sex. As a matter of fact, it was God who invented it. I take you all the way back to the book of Genesis. We won't turn there because we've been there a lot lately. But you remember on the sixth day of creation, God creates a man, his body, his sexual organs, his his sexual drives, his emotions, him biologically. And then he creates a woman and her body and her sexual organs and her emotional drives and her uh, biological needs. And then he puts the two together in marriage and as a sign-off on their wedding vows, as they're walking back down the aisle, God says something that I don't even say in a wedding ceremony. He says, go be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> what does that mean? I think we know what that means. God is pro-sex. And as a matter of fact, marriage is not j- or sex is not just allowed in marriage. It is required Frequently, in marriage, I want to take you to another place in First Corinthians. Turning your Bibles left to First Corinthians, this is a verse that, or a passage that, talks about the necessity, the 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 demand of sex in a marriage. And the guys are like, "Where's this again?" <laughs> I want to memorize this one. All right. First Corinthians seven. All right, guys, memorize this. First Corinthians seven, beginning at verse three, it says this: the husband is the husband must fulfill his wife, his duty to his wife. And the whole context here is sexually. I'm talking about physical intercourse. You can go back later and check me on context if you don't believe me, but that's the, the context here. A husband must fulfill his duty to his wife sexually, and likewise also the wife to her husband sexually. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Before anybody gets offended, it says, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over her, his own body But the wife does, sexually. Stop depriving one another, sexually. Except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, there's a whole sermon in these few verses, um, but you can see the, the obvious context here is... You need to have sex in marriage. It's not just allowed in marriage. It's not just the only place that you can do it. It is required. It is vital. It's necessary to your spiritual growth. So frequently, in fact, that the two of you wake up on Sunday morning and, and you look at each other in bed and say, can we hold off to go to church and pray? That's why you're all have first service, okay? You're like, okay, let's just go there real quick. (laughs) Drive down Van Buren, come inside real quick. As soon as first service is over, you're walking back out the lobby and, Pastor Nathan went a little long today. (sighs) Do we have time to go out for donuts or... Okay, let's get in the car and go home. (laughs) Frequent like that. And the reason is that if it's not like that, then you will fall into your own sin nature and it, you'll fall into immorality or impurity or greed, whichever one is your propensity, because you're not getting your sexual needs fulfilled within your marriage. It is required and it is necessary. So God is pro sex. Just want you to know that. Within marriage, it is a wonderful thing, and it is not just wonderful, but it's vital. It it, it brings the two of you together, but it also keeps you from sin and maintains your spiritual faith. And so it's an important thing. Now, there there are lots of reasons that people say that they have sex before marriage um, and even Christians do, but I pick the top three. These are the top three reasons that people, even Christians, advocate for having sex before they're married okay, sex during dating, love, to, sh- to show each other love, to test our compatibility uh, for, for marriage, and it's natural. It's, it's only natural. Everybody knows those things. Everybody does it like this. Well, let's look at these three real quick. Back to um, Ephesians 5, by the way. You're done turning. Back to Ephesians 5. But let's look at love for a minute. Back in Ephesians 5, In our culture today, one of the common statements is, don't have sex until you find the one that you love. And sometimes even parents give their teenagers this advice. Don't have sex until you find the one that you love. Do not give a teenager that advice. Have you forgotten what it was like when you were a teenager? You love everyone. You love the next one and the next You love them. Okay, have you forgotten that? Ephesians 5, look at verse 1. We've, we're studying verse 3, but look at verse 1, just the, the context, the storyline of what, what we're reading here. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Okay, so here's that word, love. Okay, if love's the thing, here's love. And walk in love, and now here's the example of love just as christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to god as a fragrant aroma true love love that is in the bible kind of love is a sacrificial love it gives up what's good for me for the benefit of the other person so that they're not hurt That is sacrificial love, and that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus was up in heaven, the second person of the Trinity, living in complete unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He didn't need to come to earth to go on vacation, okay? And yet he gave up the glory of heaven to come to planet earth, be be born in a manger, live a life of mediocrity, being tempted to sin by Satan, being mocked, being killed, put on the cross. He, he didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was killed on a cross. And his perf- as his perfect blood poured out, he did that as a sacrifice for you and for me so that we could have the hope of eternity in heaven. Because his precious blood is the, the only thing that could be a payment for our sin. And then he was, he was put into a, a borrowed grave. I mean, how demeaning is that? Three days later, he rises from the grave, proving that he is God. And now we all have the hope of eternity in heaven. Jesus sacrificed what he had, what was good for him. And he, and he sacrificed so that it would be good for us, so that we would not be hurt instead. And so that is sacrificial love. And so anyone who really loves another person is not going to have sex with them before they're married because it's going to hurt them. It's easy for a guy to say, I love you to a girl. So all you girls who aren't married, it's easy for a guy to say, I love you. I love you. It's easy for a guy to say that. But if that love, if that statement, is not accompanied by a desire to do no wrong to you, unless that statement is accompanied by a restriction of his own desire sexually, unless that statement of I love you is accompanied by a withholding of himself uh, for your benefit, then that's not love it's lust. He lusts you, doesn't love you. And it might feel good for a minute, but that lust is really short. And then you're going you're to realize that that was not love at all. And so here's the way that you know that someone really loves you. By them restraining themselves for your benefit. That's how you would know. Uh, holding themselves back. Uh, self-control for your benefit, not even their own. But Remember, in converse, it's going to be good for them too. Even if, guys in here, even if you're holding yourself back and she's sexually aggressive against you, you restraining her from that is beneficial to you and to her. That is sacrificial love. To do them no harm is sacrifice. And so, yeah, yeah. You wait for someone that loves you like that, okay? So there's love for you. That's Bible's perspective on wait till you find someone that you love. Yeah, wait till you find someone that loves you like that, sacrificially, okay? The next one is compatibility. Um, this, this is the one that, that's, uh, you know, why would I buy a car until I test drive it? This is, su- this is such a, It is such a lie because it assumes that sex is the main thing in a marriage. But sex is not the most important thing in a marriage. sex while you're dating proves nothing about your compatibility to be married. Nothing. It's like you testing out a, a parachute, you know, put on a parachute. It's like you testing a parachute by jumping off the roof of your house. Why wouldn't that be a good test for the parachute? Just think about it for a minute. Why wouldn't that be a good (laughs) test for the parachute? There's just not enough time for things to be proven if they work or not. And so sex while dating proves nothing about, the way that you prove your compatibility is by being faithful to your spouse for the rest of your life. That's how you prove your compatibility. That, that, that's where compatibility comes right there. Every single couple, I, th- th- this is a broad, uh, 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 strong statement. Every single couple who is committed to Jesus Christ, they are committing to waiting sexually until they are married. They're willing to sacrifice for the other person even more than themselves. They are looking out for Jesus is more important than the other person. Those two people are compatible. You are compatible. You're like, come on, pastor. What about the the physical stuff? How do I know that we're compatible? (laughs) You know what I mean? And the reason you're whispering is because you don't want to say it out loud. Hey, look, if one of you is a man and one of you is a woman you are compatible no tests needed i don't even need to draw pictures for you you got it and finally it's only natural it's only natural i mean this is this is just what we do or our culture is trying to 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 tell us and it is a lie that we are believing in droves is that sex is just as normal as any other bodily function. Sex is just as normal as any any other bodily function, just a normal bodily need. And eating isn't a sin until you're married, is it? And sleeping isn't a sin until you you get married, is it? Those are bodily needs. Those are natural needs. Uh, using the restroom, that's a bodily need, but that's not a sin to do that until, until you're married. And so the same thing with sex. You can just have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, as long as they agree. And that, that's the only limitation, you know, that we have is you can't force it on them. But the idea that all sex is, is natural and beautiful, that is a lie. The, the idea that all sex is wonderful and beautiful and natural, it has ne- that has never been the case. It is true that your sexual dri- drive is a natural desire. It is. God put it inside of you. I've already told you it's a wonderful thing. He, he, he put it there. But as you already know, all natural desires require some sort of regulation, right? All natural desires require some sort of control, right? Like, like your food. I know on your very first date that you went out with your spouse and you took him to a really fancy place like the Dodger game or <laughs> or maybe, um, what's that place right across the street from uh, Mission Inn down there? Uh, Mar- at Mario's, you know? Okay, so you take, t- take your date down there and you're all excited and you order a really expensive Italian-sounding plate and it just turns out like it's spaghetti and ragu sauce and <laughs> it's sitting in front of you. I promise you, you didn't just grab all the spaghetti, just shove it in your face, eat it with your mouth open, just the remainders just dripping down your face. You didn't do that, did you? That, that's your, that's, nat- that's natural, isn't it? But you restricted that. You learned how to use a knife and a fork and learned how to be proper, okay? Because you restricted that. And food, we control the, the, the amounts that we eat. Things go bad when we, we leave natural things unrestricted, right? We get that concept about sleeping. You, you don't sleep wherever you want, whenever you want, do you? Let's go back to that date. You, put, you, you, know, you open the door for her, she gets in, and you get in, and you drive down to Mario's down there and, and you, you order. You didn't just put your head on the table pff, <laughs> and, just, and just sleep. You didn't do that, did you? You were tired. It was the end of a long day. You worked 12 hours that day. It was a Friday night, but you restricted that natural, de- you, you, you controlled that natural desire because there were other things that were more important. Y- you, don't, you didn't sleep in your job interview, did you? No, because that was an important thing for you. You might have worked a really long day, a 14-hour day, but when you get in your car and drive home, home, you don't sleep in your car, do you? Because if you slept in your car on the way home, big accidents happen. People die because of that. Natural things left unrestricted. There are big problems, like people who sleep in church. (laughs) Big, (laughs) big problems, (laughs) right? (laughs) They wake up like, whoa, I didn't know he knew I was sleeping right now. Using the restroom, that's natural. We even, we even train our dogs. We put diapers on our dogs to control the nature. We train them to go do it at the right time in the right place. Hey, I encourage you to do it at the right time in the right place too. Okay. <laughs> hey? All things that are natural, you need to limit them or there's going to be problems with those things. And the same is true for sex. Marriage is the control for sex. Just like there's a control in every other thing, marriage is the one for sex. God is pro-sex. But it must be controlled like everything else. And now we know how Christians need to control it. Marriage is a wonderful place for it. Now let's get back to real quick, the bachelorette, and then we're done. Get back to to Hannah and Luke. Who's right? You you have Hannah who claims to be a believer, claims to be a Christian, and she says, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not really that big of a deal. Sexual morality isn't really that big a deal. Yeah, it might be a sin, but Jesus loves me anyway. Or Luke, he claims to be a Christian, and he says sexual morality is a big deal, and he's grieving, weeping over the, the sexual sin of his past, and he wants to live pure for the rest of it. Who's right? Who's right? Well, God can answer that question real simply in one verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 15, where it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. May, all this is saying is, what then? Should we find out something is sin and continue to do it just because Jesus loves me? May it never be. That's God's perspective on that. Now, you might be here today and you might have already had sex before you're married and you might think that you're damaged goods and that God can't love you anymore because of of that. Well, that's certainly not the case. The Bible says that Jesus came to die for sinners. He didn't come to die for, for perfect people. And so if you've sinned, he came to die on the cross for you too. And that's a good thing because the Bible says that your sin, even your sexual sin, separates you from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. You've already heard the entire story. And so even if you've done that, you can confess your sin to God and he will wash that sin away. If you're a Christian today, confess that sin to God today. Confess it. I'm sorry, God, I shouldn't have done that. You were right, I was hurting myself, I was hurting them, I was hurting you. Confess that sin to God. If you're not a Christian, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus today, he can wash all your sins away. Now, a lot of you are already married and you're like, what does this have to do with me at all? Well, let me ask you a question. If you've ever had, if you ever had premarital sex before you were married, even with the person that you're married to now, have you ever confessed that sin to God? Ha- have you ever done that? Because if not, it remains a fortress that Satan, Satan can use to sidetrack your desired morality. So confess it to God. Apologize to God, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Now I realize it. You can't go back and undo it all, but you can make it right between you and God. And particularly if it's with a person that, that you're married to right now, you, you apologize to them too. I'm sorry for robbing that from you. I'm, f- I'm sorry for stealing that from you. It might seem weird, like I'm supposed to apologize for having sex with my spouse. Well, yeah, before you are married, it was wrong. And now you know that, you didn't know it before. Now you do apologize to them. And this thing alone will change your relationship between the two of you, your, your sexual intimacy, the closeness from, from that apology for the rest of your marriage will be deeper than it ever has before. Maybe you didn't think of it like that before. Well, today might be the first day that you're hearing the gospel and you know you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus today. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Would you all be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? It just creates a little distance between you and the person next to you. But if you all would do that, that would be helpful because we all have a response here to God. I want all of you to respond to God in some way here. Maybe this has touched your heart, but if you've, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, today could be a day that you do that. And if you know that you are a sinner and you know that you need a savior, here's all that you need to say. In the comfort of your own heart, you don't need to say anything out loud. God knows what's on your mind. He knows your intentions. But this is what you could say. You could say, dear God, I know that I've sinned. And I now realize that I need someone to save me from my sin. And I believe what that pastor says about who Jesus is. I believe that he sacrificed for me. I believe that he is God. I believe that he came to earth to die on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. I believe that he is in heaven today and he is my savior. I put my faith and my trust and my, my eternity into his hands. I want to live a life of purity from here on out. Many of you are already Christians today, but today could be a day where you're realizing that something that you've done in the past was wrong. And so when we find that out from scripture no matter how long ago it is just apologize remove the 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 block between you and god in this area you just apologize by saying dear god i know that's wrong what i did there was wrong now i realize it i hurt myself i hurt them I hurt you god i want to live a life of purity now for the rest of my life dear god i thank you for your bible and and clarifying things that would be unclear otherwise. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.